0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: Good afternoon and welcome to NJSBA's podcast program, a Conversation New Jersey Education, a school law edition. Uh, today we'll be talking about the recent legislation called Pass the Trash. If you want to participate, you can do it one of two ways. Uh, you can dial 1-347-989-8904 uh, and just press the number 1 if you want to ask a question and we can see it on the switchboard. Uh, Also, we have a chat room feature available. You can just log in at the website. There's no fee for that if you scroll down. And you can just type in a question in the chat room, and I'll be monitoring the chat room, and I'll pass it on to our guests. Um, As I said before, uh, there's been recent legislation passed called Pass the Trash, and it's an attempt by the state legislature to – if a school employee has a maybe a background where there, there might be some suspect of problems with students uh of the sexual nature uh that this person doesn't pat you know through agreements and everyone's staying quiet this person doesn't get another job um so with us to discuss this this is new legislation so it's going to have an impact on all school districts and actually also on private schools i should Add in uh, is Joseph Rosselli from the law firm of uh, Skank Price uh, Smith and King. Welcome, Joe.
0: Hi, Ray. Thanks for having me. Good to be back.
1: Okay, good to be back and good to have you back. Uh, so, uh, just give us a little bit, just you know, very briefly about uh, your firm. Where is it, and uh, how and how long you've been uh, with them?
0: Sure. Uh, so, Ray, like you said, I'm a partner at Skank Price Smith and King. We're located in our main offices in Florham Park we have a couple other offices around the state and you know we're a full service firm we do pretty much everything but i concentrate obviously my practice in school law and we have a you know one of the one of the biggest school law practices in the state i uh, got about 10 to 12 attorneys who just do school law here and uh, we're all over the place i've been with Gang Price for twelve twelve years now which uh, wow. actually 8 years since Gang Price i've been doing school law for 12 years uh, and before that I was doing some other things and then I was lucky enough to get in here into this area. But uh yes, yeah, so I've been here for about 8 years and it's been great so far.
1: Okay, um let's talk about the the past trash le- le- legislation, oh, law now. Uh what are the yeah, basic well, <laughs> uh requirements?
0: So, this is this is an interesting law. I mean, it it really came into play um the discussion about it about a year or so ago when there was a famous case, I won't use any names, but there was a famous uh, issue where a teacher had moved from one school to another district and was hired, and in his prior district, he had some complaints about sexual misconduct and child abuse. And when he went to the new district, the uh, complaints were never told to the new district in the reference check. And then obviously, what happened was he committed the same types of acts again in his new district. So this, you know, this law is kind of aimed to prevent something like that happening. That's why they call it the "pass the trash" law, so that employees, who, you know, for lack of a better term, are called the trash, aren't just passed around from one to another to kind of get rid of it. Um, so what this law does is, it requires when uh, school districts hire new applicants, um, they have to get some some information from them about. Where they've worked in the past, in what school districts or with, you know with children, whether they've been the subject of a you know, child abuse or sexual misconduct complaint, were they ever disciplined for that complaint, and uh, have they ever lost their license or have, has their license ever been suspended for uh, you know the outcome of that complaint? So that's the kind of information that we need to get these applicants to provide, and then we verify it with our prior employers who would provide similar information to us. Uh, and that's the basic requirements of the law, You know, the, the, okay. the, the genesis of the law.
1: I do have um, a, actually quite a few questions on that, uh, but let's go to uh, – is there a requirement on the applicant uh, if I'm going to – I have to give every single school district or employer that I've had? Well, there's had. separate
0: requirements. There's, yeah, there's separate requirements on the applicant and on the prior school district and on the current school district. So the applicant, when they are – during their interview or after they're you know, um, asked to come in and work in the district, has to provide a couple of things. They first have to give us, us being the hiring district, a list that has you know, all their contact information um, and the contact information of their current employer, so where they work now if they have a job all former employers that they've worked at in the last 20 years that were schools. So they have to go back through their employment history, which if you're fresh out of college might not be an issue, but if you've, you know, you're a veteran teacher or a veteran educator, there might be quite a few uh, districts on there. And then they also have to give a list of all former employers within the last 20 years where they were employed in a position that had direct contact with children. So they have to give this list to the hiring district They also have to give the hiring district an authorization that allows the district to call up these prior employers and um, ask them for information about whether the applicant, the new employee, had ever been the subject of a substantiated child abuse or sexual misconduct investigation. Um, And then the other requirements, you know, have they ever been discharged because of that investigation, lost the license, those kind of things. And that's just coming from the applicant. Um, then once they give that information, the hiring district has to call up those former employers or email or letter, you know, could it, any way that we can contact them basically and ask for the information from them basically to verify that the information given to us by the employee, the new employee, uh, is correct. Um, and then so they the, new, to, the do, prior, go ahead.
1: I just want to, do they have to contact all the, all those, uh, Employ, former employers uh or is it uh just a select number going back 20 years i mean 20 years is a long well, time well it's,
0: it's it's all the yeah i know it's a long time but that the law just says that we as a new hiring district do have to contact the employers on the list so that would be it, hopefully it's only one district but if it's you know, 10 <laughs> we have to make those phone calls or send those emails or letters
1: and what do you do if it's like say it's a One of the former employers is the charter school that's no longer around. How how do you work around that?
0: Well, the law says that the former employers have to respond within 20 days. There's no no real penalty um, for those employers if they don't respond. And the law doesn't say that we can't hire any of these people if we don't get the information. It's just that we need to check it and then make a decision about whether it's worth it to hire that person. Um, so, if there was, for example, a charter school that had closed down and there was no way to verify that information, we would just document that we tried to tried to do that um, and that there was no answer, and then hopefully use the other information on the list to make an informed decision about the employee.
1: Okay, it makes sense. Okay, um, uh, uh, I just wanted to do one more uh, follow up. Uh, what happens if there's a an investigation? That never – the person resigns for whatever reason, maybe because they're like, I don't want to deal with this, uh, and they resign. But the the investigation to that person is not resolved one way or the other. Do they have to re, uh, release that information?
0: Well, the employee does not. The employee only has to state that they – if they were the subject of a substantiated complaint of child abuse okay. or sexual misconduct. Um, so they wouldn't have to give us that information, but – What would be on that form is a list of all their prior employers that we then have to call. So if we had called somebody and said, was this person ever the subject of a substantiated complaint, they would say no, um, I I assume, since it wasn't completed. But, you know, Mm -hmm. if they give us additional information on the employee or if they just say, I'm not going to say anything about that, you can kind of infer uh, what that means. But under the law, we only, you know, they only have to disclose if the complaint was substantiated.
1: Uh, And does this also apply to, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people have uh, vendors who, uh, they have a food service and uh, the bus drivers. Mm -hmm. And how does this work through uh, those type of uh, employees?
0: So it does apply to contracted service providers. Uh, It applies to charter schools, non-public schools like the Catholic school, um, and, and regular, you know, public school districts. So it would apply in to the contracts that we have with contracted service providers and the people that they hire and then send into the school districts, but only for those people who have close contact with students or regular contact with students. So somebody like a cafeteria worker, I could say, you know, a custodian, uh, something like that. I actually got a question of whether attorneys and architects are subject to this law, and that's not what the law is really for. I would say, no, they're not because they're not individuals who have regular contract, uh, contact with the students. Uh, But for those that do, they also are subject to this. They also have to get the information from the new people that they hire that says where they've worked for the last 20 years. And what I've been advising my clients to do is insert provisions into our contracts with the service provider that says I agree to comply with this law and I will, you know, provide and gather all the information that is necessary.
1: And what about substitute teachers?
0: So that's an interesting one because it just says they will not, uh, school districts or charter schools or you know any of those schools, non-publics, shall not employ for pay or contract with a person involving regular contact with students. I would read that to say that substitute teachers generally do fall under this um, requirement because we're mm-hmm. employing them for pay. So I don't mm-hmm. see that there's a, an exception for that. Uh, unfortunately, in our you know for us, the only problem with that is substitute teachers could be teaching all over the place. Uh, And there's a lot of districts that we might have to contact. But, you know, until maybe some regulations or some change to this law comes out, um, right now I would say it does apply to subs.
1: Okay, and and you are correct. Usually when someone subs, they're subbing in at least maybe three or four districts uh, on a fairly regular basis. Um, So that – and if they do it for a number of years, they could be in – Know, it could be
0: a lot, a lot of school districts. It could be. Um, I mean, I guess that's you know a lot of districts use um, some contracted service providers to provide right. subs. Then the onus would be on the company to make those calls and verify that these people are okay, if you will, to uh, you know to send into our schools. But if it's a district that employs their own subs and you know has a sub caller in the morning and does you know like they used to do 20 or 30 years ago, pretty much everywhere, then it, I think it would be on us to ensure uh, that. The information is correct that the sub is under the law, and that they give us the same information we would get from, you know, hiring a regular teacher.
1: Um, I'm speaking with Joseph uh, Roselli from the law firm of uh, Skank Price Smith and King uh, about the pass the Trust legislation. If you have any questions, you can please type them into the the chat room if you want, or just uh, dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and just press one, and I'll. Put you on the line to ask the question. So, uh, as a district, when we're looking, it's basically we have to document that we reached out and or tried to reach out to every single uh, other former employee, uh, employer, uh, and verified uh, their records.
0: That's correct. So, the employee has to give us the list. We, they have to sign off that we are allowed to contact these employers, the, the former employers, and that they have to agree to release us and the former employers from liability for getting the information and disclosing it. Then we would reach out to those employers and ask them to verify the information and, you know, has this person ever been the subject of a substantiated complaint for child abuse? or whatnot, you know, go down the list of the things we have to provide. They have 20 days, the former employer, to give us that information. If they give us the information within 20 days, then we take it and we review it and make a decision about the employee. If they don't give us the information within 20 days, we have to document that we reached out to them. And when I say we, I mean HR or, you know, the administration. Document that we reached out to them, uh, asked the information, and got no response. And then it's our... uh, ability uh, to make a decision uh, whether we want to retain this employee after the 20 days if we haven't gotten a response. So we can do what we'd like okay. after that.
1: All right. And uh used the word substantiated. Um, and, and a lot of times in these situations, it's hard to maybe prove uh, something occurred. Uh, so if someone, and this is, I think, what happens quite often, is someone resigns in the middle of it. Uh, I kind of asked this before, but I'm trying mm-hmm. to get a handle on this. Someone resigns in the middle of an uh, investigation, and is it incumbent upon the other district to finish the investigation, or is it, you know, it's a former employee at this point, and they just have to say that we had an investigation, but it never was done, finished?
0: Yeah, this. Is, I think, right. I think that's one of those situations where, you know, you can't, Cover everything in the initial legislation, and these are the legislation, and these are the kind of things that the questions that come up afterwards. So what the law says is that somebody has to, you know, give us the information, and the form employer has to tell us uh, whether the person was subject to the complaint, unless the investigation resulted in a finding that it was false or that it was not substantiated. So at that point, if the person had resigned already, um, there's really it's not it's not a substantiated investigation. So you know that might be one of those things that fall through the cracks right now, or, or hopefully not. Um, again, if the former employer wants to tell us that they did the investigation, that's fine. But they only have to tell us if it was substantiated.
1: So um, now I'll, I'll pretend I'm a lawyer for maybe a for a staff member. Say someone says, "Well, we there was an investigation, but we never finished it." A former employer, uh, and then you. Maybe don't hire that person. Does that a former employer have a, you know, maybe a chance uh, to to sue the district because there was no proof against them?
0: Well, (laughs) I mean, any I I always say the same thing. Like anybody with two hundred dollars can go file a case against anybody else. Yeah, Um, that was one of the first things I I learned. Yeah, (laughs) so yeah, I mean, it's possible that a lawsuit could be filed now. When the applicant gives us the ability to contact the former employers, they do have to sign something that releases former employers from liability for giving any information out. Um, so we have that, and then the law itself actually says that assuming the information is given out in good faith, there is no liability against the former employers or even the new district for uh, you know what we do with this information. Um, but yeah, I mean... Of course, at some point, there probably is going to be a suit file that says, you know, I was not the subject of a substantiated complaint, and yet you did not give me this job because of what they told you. I, I can I can certainly picture something coming down the line, but until that happens, we're not going to know, you know, what the yeah. courts are going to do with that.
1: So, um, th- and I guess from what you're telling me, that indemnification is probably one of the the biggest aspects of this law because that was one of the things that probably kept people. Uh, from signing non-disclosure uh, agreements.
0: Yes, I mean when usually when you know somebody does something wrong in a school district and then resigns, there's probably a settlement agreement or something that says we will not disclose any information other than the usual name, rank, serial number, dates of service, something like that. Now, if you're a superintendent making phone calls to other districts and someone says, "I'm only allowed to tell you that they worked here from January to December, and that's it." Hopefully you can kind of infer what that means, but under this new law, um, like I said, the districts are indemnified for the information that they give out, and again, the employer is supposed to release them from any liability giving that information, Uh, but the law also has some requirements for settlement agreements going forward that say you cannot have provisions like that in there uh, when the settlement uh, is a result of a sexual misconduct or child abuse issue or complaint that was made. So... If an employee were to leave the district because of the complaint going on and signed a settlement agreement, uh, maybe the agreement said we won't take any further action against your certificate or something like that. it can't say in there that we can only give this information now that that provision would be illegal going forward
1: oh so that's a that's a major uh, uh major
0: change because a
1: uh so you can't actually those those former agreements that Districts used to have – but sometimes they had those because uh, – two reasons I, I would imagine. One, it's expensive to proceed and time-consuming, uh, and also that – or most likely that maybe they didn't have enough proof to really convict – have someone convicted of anything. So um, right. but that's, so they can't go to the non-disclosure. They either – they have to make a decision one way or the other on the employment of this person.
0: That's that's correct. So now going forward, so after June 1st, when the law went into effect, any settlement agreement going forward can't have those provisions that basically say we won't say anything and, you know, about why you left the district or anything like that. Now it's if the decision is it's we either go forward against you or you leave. Maybe you can have a settlement agreement, but it can't have this provision in there that we won't tell form, other employers that this has happened.
1: Okay, and and you kind of indicated before if someone's a teacher for ten years and they're tenured. Uh, and they leave in the middle of the year. That can be kind of a indication that something d- doesn't seem correct uh, with their employment history.
0: That that's I mean that's generally the case. You know, veteran uh, administrators definitely know that as well when they get, when they make these phone calls. And you know something else that that you have to keep in mind is that there is a, already a law that says if a tenured employee is accused of unbecoming conduct and then leaves the district we have to make a report to the state about what happened. And even if they were not subject to tenure charges, uh, uh, you know, at that point, because maybe the settlement was that they would leave before the tenure charges were filed. But if it's unbecoming conduct, we still have to make that report to the state. That's a separate law that we would have to do. And this law kind of works together with that uh, in a way.
1: Oh, okay. Now, okay. Let's just moving forward as a district, say, uh, do I have to do any type of different record keeping now that I'm a, a, a school district? Just say, uh, cause, uh, say I'm a large district with, you know, thousands of employees. Um, yep. I have to keep records of everyone uh, and someone's going to be taking phone, you know, because there's always a lot of movement. Someone will probably be taking a lot of phone calls uh, or at least answering emails on all my former employees if they're moving on to other school districts. So uh, is there any – Best, I guess there's no best practice yet because we just started, but uh, is
0: there
1: any things that you should be concerned with?
0: The, well, there is no best practice yet, but it's definitely going to be an administrative burden on some of the office you know, staff uh, in the HR department or in the superintendent's office if there is no HR or business administrator's office. Um, because we do have to document when we reach out to these um, prior employers, and there is a requirement that we have to give a form to the new employee Uh, the the incoming employee that they have to fill out with the information on there uh, and then the release that they have to give us. And we have to also inform them of the penalties if they lie to us and, you know, say that there's uh, been no investigation, substantiated investigation, and there had been. So that's one form. And then likely there's going to be a form uh, that the district, the new hiring district sends to the old districts that says, you know, we've – we're considering offering this person a position. Please answer the following questions. Has this person ever been subject to a substantiated complaint? If yes, has she ever been uh, disciplined or discharged because of it? That kind of thing. So there, there is going to be record-keeping issues here. Um, right now, there is no form that is a standardized form. The law says that the DOE is supposed to give a standardized form for these purposes, but they have not done so yet. So, uh, you know, anybody listening should talk to their school board attorney and see if maybe a form can be prepared at this point until the DOE issues their standard form.
1: Yeah, because we're going into the time of the year when uh, you do have those movement of staff members
0: from one district to
1: another, uh, more so over summer than at any other time.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, Um, and, And not even that, but new employees from college and things like that as well, so...
1: Well, the one good thing about that who is may have worked go, in a school. as far back, yeah, they may. Uh, that brings up an interesting thing. Um, well, I, I assume you would go to their student teaching. Uh, would you have to go to a, their student teaching if they're say they're only one year out of college? Uh, is that considered I it's think not really? You, a, I think okay. they would have
0: to put. No, but I, I would ask them to put that on the form as well. And if they were employed somewhere else, sometimes the you know college uh, kids they could sub because they have the college credits necessary for it or they could have worked at a a private school perhaps or a preschool or something as when they were in college to get experience those kinds of things should be on that form as well they should disclose those so it's not not just better employers, employees even the college kids might have to require three or four phone calls depending on the person
1: and are there any other things, suggestions you would make for districts as they move forward as they're they're uh looking at this issue? Uh what they should be uh looking for as when they approve uh well I guess this would be a policy the district would have the board would have to approve. Uh or they should be at least be aware of what the administration's uh moving forward in this area, yeah. what their procedures will be.
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't hurt to have a policy that just says this is the required information for any employee or contracted service provider who's sending us employees. Uh, you know, to, and to kind of go through the requirements of the law. Right now, there's you know, there's no standard policy on this because it's brand new. But I I suspect that some of the policy providers like school boards would develop one, um, and then just have the forms ready to go. And you know, like I said, the law says that the DOE is supposed to develop these forms and. Obviously, they haven't done so. They only went into effect, what is it, 11 days ago, 13 days ago. Um, Right. So it's, you know, we're not there yet, but just to kind of have a form from your attorney or uh, maybe even from another district who has that form, you can kind of borrow it from them. Uh, And then what I would also tell them to do is that in the new employee packet, just include that information in there when you hand it to the new employee and say here's the forms we need you to fill out and return to us. Uh, rather than you know going back to them a couple times and saying we got to you got to do this you got to do this, just to make it a little bit easier on the staff so that all the information is just right in a row.
1: And you uh, alluded to this before that uh, the applicant, if they uh, mislead you on their application, uh, the, you can uh, not hire them just uh, for. Uh, misleading you on their application that they – maybe there was an investigation, but is there anything else where they kind of just mislead you on their application that uh, that's a reason for you not to hire them?
0: Well, I mean, if it comes back that they were the subject of a substantiated complaint, we can decide to hire them or not. So if we don't want to – you know, maybe it's a publicized case where we don't want to deal with it, then we can just not offer them a a, a position, or we can take action to – uh, terminate their employment if they've already started. And the law actually says that any action taken under this law is not subject to any grievances or tenure charges or any kind of, you know, the usual ways to fire an employee in a school district. You're, if we make that decision based on what we find out, they're gone uh, in effect. And then there's also other penalties. So if an employee lies to us uh, not only are they subject to termination of employment, but they also could be brought up on charges for false swearing and fined uh, up to five hundred dollars as well um and false swearing is a fourth degree crime uh as it is so you know there's there's some pretty stiff penalties if they do try to get something around us that we later find out is uh untrue
1: uh just from a my perspective it depending on where you are you know i guess if you Offer someone a position, then you retract it. That's a little different. But in the whole hiring process, if there's say thirty or forty applications for a position, you're not going to hire ninety-nine percent of them. You're only going to hire one. Uh, you don't really have to give reasons why you didn't hire someone, do you?
0: I mean, I mean, no, no, no. Not it, generally. You just found a better employee.
1: Yeah. So yeah, um, it would be hard for district. someone to. There would be so it would be very hard for someone to say you didn't hire me because you heard a rumor about me.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, look, you know, when you're a brand new employee, it's not like you have that many rights as it is. So if you, especially as an applicant, uh, as long as it's not done for a discriminatory reason, you know, you know, hiring somebody because of their age or race or something like that. Right. There's really, you know, districts really have unfettered ability to do whatever they want. So and this law really gives us that even more because the law says, you know, we can make any decision we want based on the information that we have. Um, first, if someone doesn't reply within 20 days, a former employer, we can just take action right there because they didn't reply. And then we could also, you know, once we get the information and we're making that decision, we, there's a 90 day kind of grace period that we have to, uh, if we really need someone to start, you know, for example, if it's really hard to find a physics teacher or a one-to-one aid that we absolutely have to have, we can substantiate that just like you would an emergency hire uh, under other certificates and things like that. And then we have that that mm-hmm. time to uh, evaluate the employee as well. So there, there's a lot of leeway here for the districts uh, and pretty much none for the employee. Uh,
1: and the other thing I would ask is, if uh, as a former employer, if for some reason uh, so there's a request for a teacher that we did have an investigation on and someone no one replies, maybe it fell through the cracks, maybe the, the person in HR, it happened before they were there and they didn't really, they spoke fell asleep on the job. Is there any repercussions to that district for not informing a district about something?
0: Well, in the law, no. I mean, the law just says they have to respond within 20 days, and if they don't, the hiring district can then take action against the employee. Um, There's nothing – aside from an affirmative obligation to comply with the law, the former districts don't have anything in here that says – um, what the penalties are if they don't reply. Now, I can see the, you know, so maybe some regulations or, or some modification to this law in the future. But really, if, if we feel like we were duped as the hiring district, there's other legal recourse we could take against them uh, or that the family, God forbid, of a student who has been abused in the new district can take against them. But, you know, like I said, this is not going to cover everything. It's, it's, they did the best they could. It looks, you know, as soon as they could.
1: Uh, okay, uh, that, and we're coming towards the end of the, the program. Um, and I just uh, – are right, any final thoughts, something that I haven't brought up that you think is important also for the board members to know as they proceed in this area or administrators too?
0: Well, I mean, for board members, it's really – this doesn't really have much uh... – you know, affect with the board members themselves because when you're doing the hiring process and making decisions about who to give a job to, it's it's more the administration, the superintendent, and then his or her staff who makes those decisions, and that's who would take the information in. Uh, I, I guess it might touch the board members just so they know what's going on. You know, maybe it's brought up at a meeting, or if somebody's already been offered a position, then we have to terminate them because something comes up. Um, but it's really an administrative function, and I think the administrators are all aware of this law by now, hopefully. Uh, And if not, hopefully they're listening to the program and know what they have to do um, (laughs) going forward. So we'll see.
1: Okay. Uh, That brings us to the end of this program. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Thank you, Joe, uh, once again for joining me on the program.
0: Yeah, great to be here. Thanks, Ray.
1: Okay. And if uh, you enjoyed this program, uh, you can listen to it again or forward it on to your administrator if if you're a board member. Thank you. And everyone have a good afternoon.